Tonight, Pastor's been doing a series on freedom from. And tonight it came up in my heart to speak tonight about freedom from self-reliance. Amen? How often have you started your day with a schedule, you know, a roadmap of where you want to go? You have a plan. You're going to execute it. You have a destination, and you are going to get there. And then something happens. <laughs> something suddenly comes up, and your roadmap, your schedule goes out the window. Things that you planned change. Things that you didn't plan must take priority over things that you did. Well, here's what I know. He is never <laughs> taken by surprise. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever glory to God. When your day doesn't go your way, rejoice because it's an opportunity for his way. Amen? And we can all have that experience here on this earth, things that we have set in motion, and all of a sudden, they're suddenly interrupted. But you know what? Whatever life brings, whatever it may bring to your doorstep, he is present to help. And that is good news. I just love that anointed prayer that uh, Donnie Moore always prays when he starts to minister and speak. He says, Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. <laughs> That's a good prayer. It's a help me prayer. Who else can you think of that prayed the help me prayer in the Bible? Anyone? How about Peter? Remember, Peter was a sinking, and he said, help me, Lord, save me. And God is so gracious. We're going to take a look at that account in Matthew chapter 14. But on your way there, I want to step back up a couple of scriptures and look at what just preceded that particular time. So I want to start in Matthew. It's chapter 14 and verse 13. And this is a time when Jesus had just heard about his cousin, John the Baptist, who had been beheaded. And the thing about John the Baptist and Jesus is that their ministries were linked. And so this was, a, 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 I'm sure, a deep thing for Jesus to experience the loss of that corporate anointing that flowed between them. And so he decided that he was going to depart and pull aside to a deserted place by himself. And so he endeavored to, endeavored to do that, but, you know, news got out. News got out about him, and guess what? The multitudes followed Jesus. So let's pick it up there. And it says, the mul uh, but the multitudes, when they heard of it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Oh, I just love that picture. No matter what he was personally going through, he was moved. 
with compassion for the people. He was so moved that he did something. He took his time to minister to them and to heal the sick. It was that, oh, that tender mercy on the inside of him, those bowels of mercy. Have you ever felt that rise up on the inside of you? I believe that they even speak of bowels of mercy because it's almost like it comes from that place on the inside of you. Tender mercies, compassion, because he saw the people. He saw them. He saw them individually. He knew their needs. He knew what was going on in their lives. He knew that their bodies were racked. He knew that their souls were tempted in various different ways. He knew that they needed to know the love of God personally by experience. And so he put his own grief aside to meet the needs of the people. Verse 15, and when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. Remember, they had gone out to the, a deserted place. He had gotten on the boat uh, on, on the Sea of Galilee, and that was a place where you could go to different parts of the country. And he had departed. I don't know exactly how far he went because they followed him. And it says that, you know, this place was deserted and the disciples began to tell him, you know, we need to send these people away. They need to go back to town. They need to have something to eat. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. Wow, I mean, here the disciples are looking at their own ability their self-reliance. What can we do for this multitude of people? But Jesus said, you need to give them something to eat. Now, I would say that's a God thought. I would say that's a higher thought. And I want you to know that you can expect when you're in God's presence to get a God thought, a higher thought, a higher way. It had not even occurred to them. Hallelujah. So we got to be open so that we can be free from self-reliance. We've got to be open to the Holy Spirit and in communion with him, practicing his presence so that we hear his voice when he speaks. Verse 17, and they said to him, we have only here five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and he took the two fish and he looked where? He looked up to heaven with what he had. You've got to take what's in your hand and you've got to lift it up to heaven and you've got to say, Lord, this is what I have. I give this to you. Now you do something with it. And boy, did he do exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ask or think or imagine. And so he blessed it. He thanked God the Father for it. 
and then he broke it and he gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples came to the multitudes and so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So if they each had a mate, that's 10,000. They probably had, well, Jesus had four brothers. Maybe that was five people. We're talking like close to 30,000 people. And they had walked a long way. Praise the Lord. With their children. Because they were hungry for Jesus. How far will you walk to hear his voice? To receive from him. Glory to God. So the result of freedom from self-reliance is abundance. It's a miracle-working God that will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Are you ready to be free? Glory to God. It's a decision I think we need to make like every day. <laughs> so let's go ahead and look on down to the account that I spoke about with Peter. Because it follows on down to that. Verse 22 says, and I'm going to read this out of the NIV. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go straight ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And he had dismissed them, and he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerably a distance from the land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the water, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They didn't know what was going on. They thought it was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus, <laughs> he immediately said to them, take courage. Don't be afraid. Do you find that that's what he says to your heart? When he comes to your heart, he'll say to you, take courage. Take it. There's a spirit of courage and a spirit of might that he has for you. And if you'll receive it and you'll take it, it'll cause you not to fear. And so, the Lord, uh, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And so what was Jesus' word? Come. There was so much power in that word. I mean, a natural person speaking that, come, it's a command. But when it comes from the voice of the Father, when it comes from Jesus himself, there's an anointing on it that'll cause you to do something. It'll cause you to get up out of the boat. And that's exactly what Jesus did. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat. I mean, people talk about how Peter, you know, looked away and, you know, he began to sink. But hey, he got out of the boat. He got out of the boat to walk on water. Glory to God. Are you willing to get out of whatever boat you're in to walk on water? 
That's freedom from self-reliance. Praise the Lord. And so he got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But we see there that he began to look around. He began to be distracted. He began to see the wind. I mean, what difference does it make if the wind is blowing if you're walking on water? <laughs> but you know, your mind will start telling you some things. He was walking on water and the wind was blowing and he began to get afraid. And fear will do what? Fear will sink you. You can't make it to the other side being tormented with fear. Now, let me say this. You can have doubt in your head and have faith in your heart. So just know that. Sometimes people get confused about that. They think, well, my mind is, you know, troubled. My mind is reasoning. My mind is, you know, trying to figure it out. Just tell your mind to shut up. Brother Hagen used to say that all the time. You can have doubt in your head and faith in your heart. So go with your heart. Amen? And so, as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, Lord, help. When you're beginning to sink, <laughs> look up. Because that's where there's more of God and less of you. When you're beginning to sink, just cry out, Lord, help me. Save me. Keep me. Protect me. Go before me. Follow after me. Lord, I need your help. See, what, what Peter did is he stopped beholding him. We've got to behold him. Verse 31, immediately, and I say this without hesitation, that's what immediately says. Immediately, Jesus, who was full of love and full of compassion, reached out his hand and caught Peter. And then he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What did Jesus do there? I mean, he did rebuke him, but he spoke the truth in what? In love. He spoke the truth in love. While he gave him a rebuke, he was letting down his hand and lifting him up. And that's how God will deal with you. You know, the Message Bible says this. It says that Jesus said to him, what got into you? When you begin to sink, you got to ask yourself that question. What just got into me? Fear, doubt, reasoning, unbelief, all that stinking thinking. Amen? That's why it's so important to keep beholding him, beholding his word, looking into the word of God and letting it be a mirror and reflecting back to you what God says about you, who you are in him, what you can do through him, how much he loves you, how much he's there to lift you up. Amen. So again, Peter stopped beholding and he stopped relying. He stopped relying on the love of God to save him. And that's a lesson that we want to, to learn. Lord, we want to rely on your love and your goodness. 
And that will help your faith. It will help you to trust in him when you just simply say, oh, Lord, you love me. You will never leave me. Your word says you will never forsake me. You will never abandon me. You will never fail me or leave me without support. Hallelujah. And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. See, we see with Jesus, all things are what? Possible. But we must keep our eyes fixed upon him. Now I want to look at another passage of scripture that's familiar. But I want you to allow it to speak to your heart tonight. Get revelation tonight as to what God is saying to you. Let's look at Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who he dwelt in the south, he, was, he had fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And so Israel had made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them with their cities. And so the name of the place was called Hormon which means a broken rock or, or a place of destruction. And so then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the, soul, and the soul of the people, the soul of the people, you know, that's your mind, your will, your emotions. The soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been discouraged when you're waiting and you're believing God for something? You're going, why is this taking so long? Wondering is what? Wavering. Let not that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. So when you begin to wonder, know that you're beginning to waver and you've got to redirect your thought. You know how you redirect a little child, little preschoolers? You know, they, they, maybe they want a toy, and the other, the other child wants a toy, and okay, you have to redirect one of them onto another toy. Sometimes you have to redirect your mind like that. You have to redirect it to the word, because it wants this toy over here, but that toy is not okay. you got to have this over here. So you have to just redirect yourself. Okay, what does the word say? Amen? And so... Uh, we have, uh, why have we, you brought us up into Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and there is no water and our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Do you know that God can give you something and one day you can be so blessed by it? And then you begin to curse it in your heart. And as you begin to curse that in your heart, which God has blessed you with, it can become like stale manna. I mean, didn't the children of Israel do that? As they were wandering in the wilderness and God supernaturally provided for them. 
and that supernatural occurrence became a common thing to them, and they began to curse it? We need to take heed to that. What is it that God's doing for you supernaturally in your life that it's become so common to you, you get so acclimated to it that you don't even see it as a supernatural work or grace on your life? And when you do that, you begin to curse it in your own heart. You begin to ill-esteem it. And when you ill-esteem it, it won't taste the same. It won't operate the same. The grace of God on you will not operate the same. And you'll begin again to wonder, where are you, God? When you need to make an adjustment and redirect your thinking and have an attitude of gratitude. I mean, when there's times like that and we, hey, we all experience it. We've got to stop and we've got to just bless God, praise the Lord for the grace, for the goodness, for that which is in our life and upon our life. And as you begin to thank him, something very precious happens on the inside of you. A desire begins to rise up again for manna. <laughs> Glory to God. And it begins to taste good again. It begins to operate in your life to its fullest potential. So the Lord sent fiery servants among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. You think? <laughs> We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks on it, he shall live. And so Moses made the bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And again, so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, that when they looked upon the serpent, the bronze serpent, they did what? They lived. When you look upon Jesus, you're going to live. When you look upon his word, there's life there. It's a living, breathing word of God. It will give you life. It'll give you breath. It'll give you a second win when you're losing yours. So Jesus said that Moses lifted up the serpent and in the wilderness and so so it is that the Son of God must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him, who cleaves to him, who trusts in him, who relies on him, they'll not what? They'll not perish, but they'll have life, everlasting life. Now, obviously, this was not just a look. This kind of look, it, again, it implies something more than a casual glance. It's a look that would save. A look that, you know, actually the Hebrew word there, it means to look attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze. Or as Jesus said in the last chapter of that, that was quoted in John 3, 36, he who believes in and has faith in and clings to and relies upon the Son has now possessed eternal life. 
whoever does not believe in, who do, whoever does not rely upon him, they'll never see that life of God. That look, it's a look that's not a fleeting glance, folks. You've got to fix yourself. It's a, it is, it's a God-honoring look. It's a fixed look. Well, you're steady, you're established. There's the mark and you're going for it. You know, if you're running a race, you're not going to look over here and look behind you. You're going to stay fixed because you don't want to fall. You don't want to trip. You're not going to look away. You're going to look to Jesus. You're going to look to the word and what he has said. And you're going to fully rely upon him. That's freedom from self-reliance. And you know what? Even that, even doing that, you cannot do in your own strength. You've got to do it by the grace of God, with the help of God. Now I want to quickly look into one more, and that, this is the parable of um, the prodigal son. So if you will turn to Luke chapter 15. Starting at verse 11, it says, And then a certain man who had two sons, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, make note of that, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all of his things. I mean, picture that. (laughs) As a parent. And he journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And the citizen was actually a Gentile. And of course, this was a Jewish boy. And that Gentile was a Gentile farmer, and he just didn't farm crops. You know what he farmed? He farmed pigs. And of course, that was unclean to a Jewish boy. And here he was working for a Gentile in a pig farm. And it says here that, um, let me see which verse here. That That when he joined himself to a citizen of that country, that he sent himself into the field to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, you know this. If you've got a beloved out there, a child, a parent, a niece, a nephew, a grandparent, somebody that you care deeply for, if they're out there and they're intoxicated by the spirit of this world, God can cause them to come to themselves. And so... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I'm out here perishing with hunger. I'm dying. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But just do this. Just do this. Make me. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father And when he was still a great ways off, his father saw him. And his father did the same thing Jesus did. He had compassion on him. 
Now, this must have been a God-fearing man. You see, uh, in Jewish law, when a father passed away, one-third of his possessions went to the younger son. But get this, two-thirds went to the older son. So the older son got two-thirds. Now, we're going to see he wasn't very happy with what happened. But the younger son got one-third. And then it says that really what he does is he relinquishes his wealth if he chooses to give his inheritance to his children while he is still alive. That takes a lot of faith. But he trusted God and didn't rely on his own ability. He didn't trust in his own way, his own self. He, he just trusted the Father with this situation. And you're going to have to trust the Father with situations in your life. Whatever the prodigal may be in your life, whatever the situation may be, you're going to have to just trust God with it. You're going to have to say, God, you know, it says that he had his neck outstretched. He was looking. But notice, he didn't go to the pig pen and pull him out of it. That prodigal son had to have an experience in the pig pen in order for his heart to be turned. And many times there's so much codependency going on, sometimes even for the right reasons, but it doesn't help. It hinders. It hinders God from moving in a person's life. And so this young man had to have a pig pen experience to come to himself. If you interrupt that, you're going to interrupt what God needs to do in that person's heart. And so, he rose up. Notice when he left, he said, Father, give me my inheritance. But that experience in the pig pen changed some things. It changed his language. And when he came back, he said, Father, make me. Is that your heart tonight? Too often it's like, Lord, give me this. I need this. Lord, what about that? But when you raise yourself up in that place of maturity in him, when you come to the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, and when you look and you just behold him, you too will say, Lord, make me. Make me what you want me to be. Hallelujah. That's freedom from self-reliance. And we know how the story ended. I mean, the father just embraced him. He, he hugged him. He, he killed the fatted calf. He had bowels of tender mercy. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't, I mean, he couldn't even finish his, re, his repentance to his father. His father had been praying, and he, he knew a work had been done. He didn't chastise him. He didn't say, I don't trust you. Get out of here. Or you're going to have to earn your way back. He embraced him. That's what the love of God does for you. You don't have to earn it. 
You just have to receive it. God wants to kill the fatted calf for you. He wants to give you his all. It's covenant talk. It's divine exchange. He gives you all that he has as you give him all that you have. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that people can return from journeys where they've departed, even in the minute ways from your voice, from you, Lord. And they can reposition themselves. And, Lord, you are there with compassion and mercy that's new every morning. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Here again, these are things that you cannot do in and of yourself. But you can do it through Christ who gives you strength. Say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Greek word through means a revelation of rest. It's actually a relationship of rest. You can do it through resting in him. Resting in his ability. Not yours, not your self-reliance, but on his. I can do all things through my connection of resting in him. Did you get that? I can do all things through my connection of resting in him. In his ability. In his power. In his might, in his strength. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I glory in my weakness that the power of God might rest upon me. You mu as much as we hate these places of weakness in our lives, it is our weakness, it is in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. When we are weak, then we are strong in him. Our dependency upon God comes in that place of weakness. Our recognition of our need for a Savior comes when we cannot help ourselves. It's not in our own strength or ability. It's not in our own self-reliance. Philippians 2.13 in the Amplified says it this way, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing in you, creating in you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure, his satisfaction, and until he is delighted. Glory to God. That's freedom from self-reliance. And it's a place that we can attain to every day if we work at it. Because, you know, we just like to be in control. We like to be in control of our schedule. I think of the Good Samaritan. He had a schedule. He was on a mission. But so were the other ones, the priests and the Levi, these men of God. But they didn't see the need of humanity. But this good Samaritan, he was a Samaritan. This was a Jewish man. 
But he didn't see that. He, he just saw tender bowels of mercy and compassion that moved him to the place of that need to where he bound up the wounds, carried him to the innkeeper, told him, you know, you keep him, you take care of him, I'll return, I'll pay for it all. What would that do to this world if everybody had that compassion that same compassion as the Good Samaritan for mankind around you. Doesn't mean you could save the world. It means you do your part that God puts in your heart. Not all parts are your part, but your part is your part, and it's your supply that you need to bring. That, no less, no more. God, through the Holy Spirit, will quicken to your heart what that part is. He won't use um, guilt or condemnation of the soul. He will use tender bowels of mercy rising up in your heart. And oh, you'll just be moved to the situation. Sometimes it's lending time in prayer. Sometimes it's just lending yourself to have conversation. Sometimes it's, oh, taking a brother or sister to lunch. Sometimes it's coming alongside of somebody to sustain them when their knees are feeble. To make them strong, to speak the word into them, to bring encouragement, which inspires courage. You can all do that. It doesn't even cost anything, just your time. But here's what I find out. When you sow it, guess what? You're going to reap it back. The grace will be increased upon you. The wisdom of God will be increased upon you. Oh, you'll come to a new place in your race with a new grace. And oh, it just settled down. It'll rest upon you. And as you give it, you'll get more. And you'll give it and you'll get some more. And it's a place where you find purpose. It's a place where you find fulfillment because you're being used by the almighty God. He'll give you words. Preparation of your heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue belongs to God. You prepare your heart with the love of God and the word of God, and God will do amazing things in and through you. Are you ready to be free from self-reliance? Glory to God. Father, we just thank you for the word tonight. And we let it resonate in our hearts and in our souls, Lord. That it's time to be free from self-reliance. It's time to put our schedules and our roadmaps into your hands and let you direct our life, direct our path, Lord. Because your ways are higher. They're greater than ours. And Father, we want to be smack dab in the middle of your wheel. And so we commit to you afresh and anew tonight, Lord, to do just that, to be mindful of these things, to allow the Holy Spirit to bring them back to our remembrance at the time that we need it, Lord, recalling to us so that our dependency is upon you and no other.